I'm currently at my parents' house in Kansas helping care for my dad, who has just entered hospice. We are doing all the things that relatives do when the end is near for a family member, so if I sound a little exhausted, that's why. Working on Fruit Bowl while I'm here has been a useful distraction, as well as a reminder of the role that my dad played in my own coming of age, which I talk about in this episode's introduction. By the way, I didn't bring my studio mic with me, so all of my narration for this episode has been recorded using my iPhone while standing in my parents' walk-in closet. So if I sound different right now, that's why. Thanks to Ryan Whedon, who edited music for this episode, as well as the final mix. And thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for helping us make this happen. All Patreon supporters will have access to an exclusive supersized edition of this episode. So if you'd like to help us out, you can learn more about supporting Fruit Bowl at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate. And now, here's the show. In eighth grade, this one kid was like, I heard that Marilyn Manson masturbated on stage. And everyone was like, ooh. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Ooh, I don't know. That day, I went home, I took the dictionary off of my shelf, and I looked up masturbate, and I was like, oh. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Five years ago, I started interviewing queer people about their coming of age and the different ways we discover our sexual identities. Since then, I've presented four seasons of Fruit Bowl episodes that feature just one queer person's sexual history. This season, I'm picking through the Fruit Bowl archives, searching hundreds of hours of past conversations about queer sex, and creating episodes that explore common themes and subjects from a diverse cross-section of queer people. My goal is to destigmatize and promote conversation about queer sex and, in the process, reveal the strength, resilience, and fierce individuality of queer people and, at the same time, discover what unites us. Sex Ed, Volume 3, Mastering Masturbation. Growing up, I did not have a clue about masturbation. Didn't know what it was, didn't know how to do it. Until the summer between 6th and 7th grade, when my dad sat me down for the sex talk, which consisted of him giving me a pamphlet about sex that was created by the United Methodist Church. And as problematic as that sounds, Methodists are a lot more realistic about sex than, say, evangelicals or Catholics, for that matter. So the pamphlet was actually an efficient way to communicate a few crucial details to me regarding sex, anatomy, reproduction, and in just a couple of sentences, a good enough description of masturbation. I remember being shocked that my penis did something more than just disposing of urine. 
After dad left my bedroom, I quickly got to work trying to masturbate. And amazingly enough, on the first try, nailed it. And I haven't stopped since. As you'll hear my interviewee RC say later in this episode, masturbation is one of the only things I have done consistently over the decades. I used to be resentful of my dad's rather lazy attempt at the talk with the pamphlet, but after the many hours interviewing people for Fruitbowl, I have a new appreciation for his efforts given how few of us received even an acknowledgement of sex from our parents, much less an actual conversation. So thanks, Dad. Fast times at Ridgemont High. There's something about Mary. American Pie. And yes, Saltburn. All of these movies portray cisgendered men masturbating and all of the social embarrassment, insecurities, and drama that it can produce. But what about people who were assigned female at birth, or AFAB, as they are often labeled? After five years of collecting coming-of-age histories, some of my favorite tales of masturbation come from the AFAB community. So, a little over a year ago, I created a short film titled More Than a Feeling that featured different stories from AFAB people about masturbation. In this next section, you'll hear some excerpts from that film, including Anders... Elliot, Isabella, and Jai. I know for sure it at least started in like preschool. I think I was five. I think I was maybe like four or five. Somewhere in elementary school, started figuring some of that out. I think I was sitting at the kitchen table. I have very clear memories of being over at a friend's house. Trying to do homework, and I didn't want to do it anymore. And we were playing with like, like My Little Ponies or something. I remember it just like masturbating on the couch. And I was just kind of like rubbing up on the side of the bed. <laughs> so like humping the edge of a bed. So sort of straddling this, the corner of the mattress and it just felt crazy good. This is cool, I like this feeling. Probably that's like private time or something. It wasn't even a thought in my head. But I didn't have any sort of understanding that it had anything to do with um, sex. I don't remember knowing how I knew that though. I didn't know what it was or what I was doing, but... And then once I was done, I was like, okay, I'm bored, let's go do something else now. Like, I was just humping everything. It was just happening all the time, all over the place. And probably by the second grade, I knew that you cannot diddle your skittle in in front of other people. (laughs) You can find a link to More Than a Feeling in the show notes of this episode. When it came to getting off during our adolescence, some of us preferred more than just a hand and a vivid imagination. Don't ever say that young, porny people aren't industrious. These next interviewees are proof. They had very creative relationships with different household objects that helped them experience self-pleasure. My name's Dan. Uh, I'm 46 years old, and I graduated from high school in 1993. I was born in Seattle and then grew up north of Seattle in a little housing development of cul-de-sacs called Misty Meadows. 
I remember masturbating and the, the forms that that took initially was a lot of like grinding on pillows. I was not, I did not use my hands for years. I was one of those guys that like, it never occurred to me to like stroke my penis. Um, so I would grind on things. I would make contraptions. I like, I remember specifically I had a mason jar that I took then fake fur from my mom's sewing kit and lined it with fake fur to create kind of like a pocket and that, cause I knew that, I knew that vaginas had like hair on the outside of them. So I thought, okay, maybe that makes sense. And then I like put a bunch of lotion inside of it and then like would like put my penis in that. Not very effective. Um, the grinding was much more effective and it was a long to probably because I was using such ineffective methods. It was a long time before I actually finally ejaculated. That may have involved my hand because I remember h- how surprised I was. And I also distinctly remember it was orangish so i don't know what was going on um it was like months of apparently edging myself and edging myself and like my balls were working overtime and finally like this stuff comes out which surprised me so i think it was before the talk um and uh and it was a weird color in retrospect because it never came out that color again My name's Carilla, I'm 28 years old, and I graduated from high school in 2011. I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. I joke sometimes that the weirdest thing I ever masturbated with was the CD rack. And um, it's actually just because uh, I had this CD rack where the middle of it was filled with water and it bubbled up and changed colors and had marbles in it. And it was just kind of this groovy CD rack. And to make the bubbles in the water was this like little vibrating connected thing. And I was like 10 years old and I was watching like that 70s show. I really love Mila Kunis. What can I say? And I had like humped my stuffed animals before I had like used my fingers before, but this was the first time that I think I fully like gave myself a, like a really wild orgasm. And yeah, I was 10 years old, just like using this little like vibrating thing that was connected to my CD rack. And um, I used that quite a bit for a while. Stuffed animals were our fuzzy friends, cherished companions who went everywhere with us. And sometimes we had sex with them. My name is Andrew, I'm 31, and I graduated high school in 2007. I grew up 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia in a town called Westchester, Pennsylvania. I used to... (laughs) I used to cut holes in my stuffed animals and fuck them. I remember I had to get rid of a teddy bear because, <laughs> like, it was so gross and crusty. I cut a hole in the front of the stuffed animal or the butt of the stuffed animal and I would fuck it until I ejaculated in it and it got really gross so I had to throw it away. <laughs> curious George. I had a Curious George doll that I mutilated um teddy ruxpin <laughs> i'm just remembering this now so this is like i had a polar bear that felt really good because it was soft that's about it my harem 
And I think I had a My Buddy doll that I would cuddle with and like play around with. Do you remember, do you know the Chucky doll? So that's based on a doll that's My Buddy, which was like this life-size toddler. I don't know, it was like three feet tall or whatever. And where like, it had like Oshkosh Bagosh overalls. And it was my buddy that I, when I was, I guess I was younger then when I would experiment on it. I don't know, when I would see things on TV and be like, this is what I'm doing with my buddy. My name is RC and I'm 35 years old. I'm a military brat or a former military brat, so I moved around a lot. Um, I was born in the Philippines. Mm. Then we moved to San Diego. Well, I definitely was a masturbator. Once I learned how to do it, I just have, I haven't stopped. <laughs> like, I seriously, it's one of the only things in my life that I've done consistently for decades. <laughs> I had a teddy bear. I still have this teddy bear that I've had since I was born. This teddy bear is 35 years old. And this teddy bear's nose used to have fuzz on it until I got to Teddy. Teddy bear is named Teddy. I learned how to masturbate on it, on my teddy bear, you know? Like, I used it as a tool for pleasure um, and, you know, therapy and all those fun things that your teddy bears are good for. And what about swimming pool jets? If you know, you know. Am I right? I'm Brianna. I'm 34, and I graduated high school in 2006. I grew up in Mount Vernon. It's about an hour from Seattle and an hour from the Canadian border. I think my first experience experimenting with my sexuality was masturbation. We had a pool at my house, and I remember finding the jet in the pool and being like, oh, this feels really good. And so then I would just stand there, and I think my parents figured out what was happening, and we're like, Brianna, go go away from the jet. Like, this isn't... You shouldn't be here. <laughs> Private time. But I just kept, you know, like a little starfish. I was going to go back to that jet. And then from there, I was like, well, I got to find something that does the same thing. So then I found, you know, shower heads, which I also was like a really big fan of. It was probably around the same time, like nine or ten. It could have been younger, but that's when I can remember. I think that I knew it should be hidden, but I didn't really know what led to a problem like babies. And I was also worried that I could get pregnant in ways that I didn't fully understand. So I was like, what if I could get pregnant? Because someone else who has a penis also went by this jet or washed themselves with the shower head. And what if now something from their penis got on this and then got into me somehow so I could be pregnant? So I remember going through some panic as a child, afraid that I could be pregnant because of this before I learned more about it, right? Like this is the problem with sex education is because there's so many little things and you don't want to talk about it because it's supposed to be private or hidden. I was always really afraid of taking up too much time in the bathroom or um, someone finding out that it was happening or the pregnancy. <laughs> it just makes me so sad now because I'm like, oh God, that's such a, that's, 
not possible. <laughs> I feel like my parents, I should ask them, but I feel like they probably suspected something because sometimes they'd be like, you're in there too long or, you know, in the shower head, you, it had like a vibrator thing or whatever, so it'd make a different noise. So I was always really afraid they were going to hear the noise differently. I think that I would visualize some porn stuff that I'd watched or like create scenarios or stories in my head. And I also would just like focus on the feeling. It really de- would depend. I have ADHD, so it's easy for me to get distracted. So I have to kind of bring myself back to focusing, which I think in some ways has been helpful that I did that earlier because now I'm like eight was able to masturbate later and be more present with my body and sex because I did that earlier and learned how to focus and kind of pay attention to my body in that way. But yeah, I think it was a combination of fantasy and noticing my body having a reaction. Some of us may have needed some help from friends who provided some much-needed guidance when it came to learning the technique of jerking off. My name is Mike. I'm 69 and a half, will turn 70 in May, and I graduated from high school in 1970. I was raised in the Florida panhandle, uh, an area some people call Florabama. It was extremely conservative, very religious, and very homophobic. My parents were kind of northern carpetbaggers running away from their families and the Jewish religion and my grandfather's movie business. In the 50s and 60s, when I grew up, being homosexual and open about it could get you thrown in, in a mental institution. It certainly would get you kicked out of your family, excommunicated by your church, and fired from your job. So nobody wanted to be that way. So you did whatever you had to to deny it to yourself and then to others and to pass and ideally to change. But beneath that, there are the moments of these subliminal expressions of attraction you're not even mindful of that if you go back and mine your childhood, you can remember. Age 10, my brother and I were at the swimming pool complex 10 miles away that we were driven to in a school bus every morning. And we went outside the complex and found a a kind of a fence that you you open a toggle switch and you went into a a crawl space or an alley that was between the men's and women's dressing room. And he was looking through a knothole, maybe age seven, into the women's dressing room. And I was looking through a knothole at age 10 into the men's dressing room. And he remembers thinking, why don't you just go in in the men's room and look? In the meantime, I'm going, come over here. And he's going, no, you come over here. And on some level, I knew I shouldn't be sharing that, but maybe I thought he was my brother and he might have the same feelings. And it was only in, in adolescence and puberty and, you know, when the hormones rage that it started to manifest itself differently. But even then, sex was so taboo. And the concept of being gay and being shunned was so intense I wouldn't contemplate even in my fantasies having sex. Frankly, the idea of doing all those things I heard about with other boys was gross. I was never formally educated about sex. None of the schools I attended through ninth grade in uh, the South and afterwards in Connecticut in 10th through 12th grades ever offered any sex education. When you grow up in a very rural conservative area like I did, everything happens through your friends and, uh, schoolyard banter, people talking about fucking and 
telling you how it worked. I don't remember what they said about it, but just you had an idea of the notion that men and women did this thing and that babies came from it. My first exposure to sex was masturbation, but I thought you all needed to do was tug at it five or ten times and, it, and then whatever would happen would happen. And I gave up. So I, I was kind of frustrated by it, but of course I didn't want to admit that I didn't know it, but I kept hearing from all these guys what you did. So of course I attempted it. The first time I ever successfully masturbated to orgasm was at the sleepover party I held in our cattle ranch in my 12th or 13th year on my birthday. My parents were not there. Late in the evening, I remember somebody mentioned, why don't we have a circle jerk? So I organized it in our guest room. But I was embarrassed, partly by the fact that I didn't know how to do it. Partly because I had a, a mole on my groin, which was all, in some measure for me was the embodiment of everything about me that was different and shameful. So I made excuses to organize and stand at the door and make sure it wasn't disrupted rather than participate. And everybody pulled their pants down and started jerking. And eventually they came one by one. And, and that was it. Later on in my bed, I did what I'd seen them do. And I came and I was so joyful that I went and blurted it out to one or the other guys or so. So anyway, that's my full circle story. Learning how to masturbate from a peer can be an innocent and mutual exploration that benefits both people. But unfortunately, it can also evolve into predatory behavior. In this next section, Puddin describes being targeted by a family member who took things too far. My name's Puddin. I'm 35 years old and I graduated from high school in 2002. I grew up in North Alabama in a tiny town with like like I graduated with like uh, 70 people, I think. I can think of like lots of incestuous activities that were happening in my family when I was young. There was definitely some like intergenerational things happening that were not good. The first thing was probably one of my cousins. I was at that time probably like 10 or something. And he was probably 11, like he was just a little older than me, but he was a little less naive about things. I didn't even know what masturbation was at the time. This was, again, before I went through puberty. He had already, and he basically was like, oh, let me show you how to do this thing. And I was like, okay. And we, like, took our clothes off. He would be like, oh, this is what you're doing, like, touched his dick and was like he got hard and I was kind of like confused I was like I don't know what's happening but okay I guess this is like this other way to play with each other <laughs> but yeah he showed me how to touch my dick and then like I remember him like jerking off and coming and I was like what is happening <laughs> Like, what just happened? You know, because I couldn't even do it at that point. So, like, he showed me how to do it. And then, like, I started doing it by myself. We, like, played with each other probably, like, ten times over the course of from the time I was, like, 11. 
the last time I think was when, when I was 16. We were on this like family vacation and we had rented this house in Tennessee and like there was like a bunch of us there. I remember like watching some gay porn with him and then like sucking him off. Like I said, he got off and then I was like jerking off and was gonna try to come and he was like, oh, I have to go. And he just like ran into the other room. I kind of just like shut him out after that because I felt like he was using me sexually because it wasn't about like both of us getting off. It was about me getting him off, which has like informed my sexual preferences now. I mean, like I still really get off on like being used. Like I get off on being like, oh, just use me like a flashlight or something like you know, it doesn't matter if I get off. It's just about getting you off. But yeah, at the time I like felt really hurt. I didn't have the energy or the wherewithal to say like, you hurt me because I was still processing it. I didn't really know what to feel. The next day he had a seizure and I remember feeling like that's what you get. And I know that's bad to say, but that's what I, that's what I remember feeling at the time. And, you know, we just like didn't really connect anymore again after that point. I remember being really angry with him. And when I would see him, I would just like basically shade him out really hard. I'm like, I don't even want to talk to you. I went through like years of like being angry with him. But one day I was like, this anger that I have for him is hurting me way more than it's hurting him because he doesn't even know that I'm mad at him. And so I'm just going to let it go. I mean, I'm just going to like choose to be happy, you know, and just like let it go. And then like maybe a year or two after that, he passed away. He like had a drug overdose and died. Mm -hmm. I found out later that he like had been taking advantage of sexually. So I think he just thought it was natural. I think he was like, oh, well, this is what you do <laughs> with people who don't know what to do. You teach them, right? It just makes me sad. It makes me sad that like people are hurting and then therefore they like hurt other people to help them process their pain. A lot of the anger that I was feeling towards him was my own shame that I was like doing something gay. So I felt like it was his fault that I was doing it. But the truth is like, I like to touch dicks and I was a willing participant, you know, even if I was young. I learned to be compassionate because I know that he was processing his pain and trying to deal with it in this way. But, I, you know, I think he wanted to play with me. He wanted to play with my body. And so he's like, oh, I'm going to have to teach him how to do this. I don't think he intended to, like, be predatory or to be using me. I think that's what ended up making me not be mad at him because I was just like, you know what? He was doing the best that he could with what he knew. That happened a lot in my family. Like, people were, like, sexually abused by other family members. A young person's discovery of sex can have both positive and negative effects on the ego, regardless of their sexuality. Unfortunately, the discovery of one's own queer desire can often be an early source of deep personal shame that some people never get over. 
These next stories are from interviewees who overcame personal shame and eventually getting off became a validating and euphoric celebration of their sexuality. My name is Adam. I'm uh, 38 and I graduated high school in 1999. I grew up in Paramus, New Jersey. I can remember being in elementary school and hearing my friend Eric tell me that he had been at a birthday party with these two or three other boys and one of the boys had like pulled down his pants and, and sunned them, which was the opposite of mooning for people who can't figure out what that is. Uh, the other side, the sun and the moon. And he had sunned them and I just remember being so excited and like I wanted him to tell me the story again like I really I was like oh my god oh my god you mean I could somebody could do that to me and I could see a penis I mean I wasn't attracted to, you know I was I didn't even have a sexuality at that point but like I could just I was just remember being like oh my god I want that to happen to me that's like a you know I think I knew about sex from a, a much earlier age than some people. I watch movies with my parents that would sometimes get a little risque, like um, like a Mel Brooks movie, for, for instance, or, um, you know, uh, uh, like PG kind of John Candy comedies, you know, back when PG wasn't quite just for kids, you know, and also I've read a lot of Stephen King books when I was like, you know, 10, 11, and so I was kind of figuring it out. But in terms of queer sex, I probably learned about it from movies. By the time I was 12, I was renting all sorts of movies from the, the library or video store. And um, I had no access to porno um, except for the Spice Channel, which I could flip the cable box really quickly and see like a second of of like unscrambled porno, straight porn, yeah. But sometimes you could see dicks, which was also freaked me out because at that point I was really trying not to be gay. And I, I was started to have these, I, I have OCD. So I started to have OCD kind of thoughts of like, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay, you're gay. And they would just come in to my head when I didn't want them to come in. You know, I'd be taking a test and I'd start, or I'd see somebody and I'd start to, you know, and and I didn't really know, like, that, you know, what was going on. And I just was trying desperately to put these thoughts out of my head. And then I would start to watch straight porno. And I borrowed straight porno magazines from my friends or bought them from my friends. And I would jerk off to them. And I'd try really hard to be, like, into tits and pussy and stuff. And it just didn't, it didn't really fly, you know. I, I would only really get off the most if there was, like, a guy in the, in the shot. But I also had this tied belief with rituals. And I, I went into school one day and I got bullied. It was like the start of this horrible, intense eighth grade bullying period. And I tried to think about the day before and what had I done. Perhaps I had done something that, you know, triggered it. And all I could determine was that I um, had masturbated multiple times that day. So I sort of set this new rule for myself. You can only masturbate once a day. And if you do more than that, you're, you're going to anger God. And I remember, like, you know, sometimes I wouldn't be able to 
resist and something bad would happen the next day, but something bad would happen because of coincidence and not because of anything I'd obviously done to anger God. These are OCD rituals. They don't make sense. And you have to touch a doorknob or you have to do this, or I had to have all my clothes in my room before I went to bed um, because otherwise I couldn't wear them the next day. And, um, you know, there was, there was all these sort of things and the OCD kind of was connected to my sexuality. In my summer of, like, when I was 13, I was inside almost the entire summer because I'd had such a terrible experience in my eighth grade year being bullied in part for perceived gayness, but also just because I was a target. And um, I, I made my mother send me to a private school for high school. I was like, I'm not going to public high school with these people again. I'm not spending four more years being, you know, harassed and bullied and hiding in the bathroom when there was a substitute teacher and stuff like that, you know? So I was inside and I was, I just remember it was like a summer of like fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, you know, watching stuff and watching movies and hoping that something didn't like kind of come through the TV that was going to trigger me in some way. And I think this just was like, there was just like a moment when I just was like, stop fighting. Like you're gay, like accept it. You like guys, like let yourself go. And I, it was really like intense and I just had to kind of had this release. And from then on, it was like, you know, masturbation was amazing. And I would watch Saved by the Bell and jerked off to that. I would, every show where there was a hot guy, it was such a pleasure to just be like, you know, oh my God, I like all of this. I like this all. And so when I came out, it also came with a, like a, a sort of realizing that all the OCD rituals that I did were bullshit and that I didn't have to follow them and nothing was gonna bad was going to happen to me if I masturbated 16 times in one day. Maybe something would with my penis, but nothing was going to happen to my, you know, my soul or something. It's like a war, you know? I mean, you can't control your sexuality. You can control your behavior, but you can't control what you're turned on by. You can open your mind and be more expansive and realize that the narrow things that maybe you first liked at, at first, that there's more to sexuality than that, and there's more to, you know, people than body parts. But initially, it's, it's, it's primal attraction that's, that's there, and you can't, you can't really fight it. I'm Adam. I am 37. I graduated high school in 2000. I grew up in Barrie, Vermont. It took a long time for me to actually like have an orgasm. I would try and it just didn't happen like that for me. And I was like, I must be doing this wrong. And I would try for long periods of time. And I bring up my dad because I remember trying for long periods of time in his actual bathroom. I would be in there for like an hour and a half, like rubbing this thing shooting water on it and I just couldn't get it and I knew from now from my cult from culture and what I'd seen what was supposed to happen I think this thing comes out and it looks this color and all this stuff it just never happened um the first time it happened I had was seeing a a, like porn like when I saw the moving images of porn I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but I was like with a bean bag. <laughs> I was like humping a bean bag. 
<laughs> and that was how it happened. And I remembered that feeling when I finally had that orgasm, which I'd been seeking for years. When it finally happened, it was like a real euphoric thing because I was like, I'm now accessing this thing that everyone else seems to know about. And I've got it. And I remembered like examining it, like smelling it, like everything. I was like, what is this? Wow, this is what it is. And this was so... I remember after that, I would just like burn for that moment. Like it was like a fire inside me. I remember being on the bus ride home from school and I couldn't contain myself. I was so excited to run home and get to that beanbag because I found the way to do it. And for that while, it was that. <laughs> um, and I would literally sprint home. I'll never forget how I would run home. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. All those years of not actually achieving orgasm, my sexual time with myself was very long. To this day, my sexuality, I feel like I have these compartments for it. And one that's very sacred to, to me is like my me time. And so I've also like, I've like tried over the last few years being like, why do I, why am I sort of like tantric in nature? Why like now that we call it edging and all that kind of thing. I'm not so interested in the climax. And even in, in relationships, I love the hunt of something and that kind of buildup, that, that run home from school. That's like the thing for me. Um, and I think I was, because a lot of my training was in working at it, like, and I, I'm a pianist, a lot of it's about the practice and so much less about the performance. Thanks for listening to Fruit Bowl. Excerpts featured here are selected from each person's full-length episode from previous seasons of the podcast and have been re-edited in support of the episode's theme. Want to know more about this episode's featured interviewees? You can find links to each person's full-length interview in the show notes of this episode. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video extras that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate, and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find links to all our social media at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. That's me. This has been a production of Cubed Media. 
All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.